Hi, I'm Glenn. And I'm Jim. And welcome to the Backstage Show. This week on the Backstage Show, Jim has a special announcement. That's right. I would like to, and this is related to our topic for today, but I would like to preface that by talking about a recent theater development. Uh, I am, for whatever reason, (laughs) foolishly or not, going back to the directing chair this year. Uh Uh-oh. Are you actually directing or just going to the chair? No, I'll actually be directing it. Okay. No, I'm just going to sit in it and keep it warm for the real director. (laughs) No, I will actually be directing. As I mentioned back in the New Year's wrap-up episode, I've been involved with the uh, fairly new group Gypsy Stage Company, Mm -hmm. and I think at the time I was talking about the possibility of an upcoming production. Well, that is starting to get a little bit more solidified. I will be directing a production called Nora Swan Murder Most Personal. Mm -hmm. That will be running, as it stands right now, that is scheduled to run for a weekend in late August of this year, August 23rd, 24th, and 25th, at the McCool's Arts and Events Place in Quakertown, Pennsylvania. Sounds McCool. Yeah. (laughs) So come uh, June, we will start to be getting into rehearsals for that. And at this Mm -hmm. point, we are just about at the point where I believe now we have a full cast. Okay. Uh, We'll we'll be doing a read-through of it fairly soon. And how was this show cast? Yeah, well, that is the part that is related to our topic today, which is a follow-up on the casting process that we talked about many moons ago. But we're specifically going to be concentrating today on the somewhat infamous and controversial element of pre-casting. Ooh. Thanks, Glenn. Thanks for that. (laughs) So most of the community theaters that we have been involved with tend to frown upon that that process and some of them may even have things written into their bylaws about having open auditions for every production every main stage production i guess yes indeed and incidentally if you want to go back and listen to those uh first episodes that we talked about casting it was actually auditions and casting that were uh uh, it was a uh four episode run uh on like i said auditions and casting which was, yes, uh, indeed started on episode five. The Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> Is that five? Yeah, I guess yes, it was. It was. Yeah. That, that aired back in, well, April of 2018. Late, late April or so? Uh, yeah. Early April. April. No, late April. April 30th is when it started. But you can go back, just look for episodes five through episode eight. Uh, like I said, that's a four-parter. If you wanted to get the uh, actual casting part about it, that was episodes six and eight. Episode six was the casting process from the actor's perspective. Episode eight was the casting process from the director's perspective. Way to promote the back catalog, Well, I'm trying. And you can uh, get more information about all of our back episodes on our website. Backstage.link. Indeed. Uh, So, yeah, as Jim mentioned, we're going to be focusing on the dreaded pre-casting in this revisit. Right. And as I said a moment ago... It's a generally frowned upon practice mm-hmm. in most community theaters that uh, certainly that Glenn and I have been involved with. I yeah, think it's fairly universal. I, I think what you're doing uh, with your Murder Most Personal, with the uh, with Gypsy Stage, that's kind of different than, it is than different. your standard community theaters. Correct. It's different in that it is an ensemble-based company, so mm-hmm. it is pulling from—in uh, terms of determining— 
putting on productions and how to cast it, it's mainly pulling from the ensemble pool. Right. So they're kind of casting the same group in most of their shows. More or less. Now, that is not to say that in certain situations at discretion of a director such as myself, that maybe it's determined that either the right people aren't already part of the ensemble, since this is still sort of a growing effort, Mm -hmm. or perhaps the most suited people maybe aren't available for that particular production. Right. In which case... Uh, we would have, and there have been a couple occasions where there have been auditions held to mm-hmm. to fill an, to fill like a role, or maybe just to recruit additional people mm-hmm. to help grow the ensemble. So that kind of sounds like the opposite of what you're getting from most community theaters. Whereas a community theater might have open auditions with one or two roles filled, you're dealing with yeah. uh, already cast with one or two open roles. Most likely yeah. at this point. So it's kind of like it's less precasting, but I mean that's something where. We're accepting that, you know, this is an ensemble. This is what we know going into it. So I think that's a circumstance where precasting is acceptable. And I I think there are a few other situations where precasting might be acceptable. Yeah, it's come up on occasion, I think, in your more volunteer-based community theater groups Mm -hmm. where certain situations that it might come up might just tend to revolve around roles that are very difficult to fill. Yeah, I think that's probably the most common precasting that you'll see is when it's just these roles that are just, you know that you're not going to get this kind of thing or you're unlikely to get this kind of thing at an audition where it's, you know, a unique characteristic, a personality trait, a skill, you know, like, oh, I this role has to be able to juggle for you. I was so, just thinking juggle. Yeah. You read my mind or, or yeah. play guitar or... Mm-hmm. Any number of things of that nature that yeah. are integral to the show and can't really be faked. Yeah, so certain some directors might be like, oh, you know, I, I've encountered enough people who know how to juggle. I'll just put that into the audition requirements that, you know, this role, you need to know how to juggle. But yeah. others might feel more comfortable precasting that, and, I, and that's understandable. I think it, yeah, you could go either way with it. If you if you think the chances are finding some a person to fill that role in an open audition are relatively good, then mm-hmm. you don't have to precast. But if you're not sure or it's some other element to it, then... Yeah. I mean, juggling might not be the best example. Yeah, there could be a number of people yeah. who juggle, potentially. It could be, I hate to say it, but it could be somebody of a particular demographic, maybe, yeah. who wouldn't necessarily <laughs> normally come you know, to... A, a, lot of, uh, a lot of the theaters that we're involved with are a little further out into the suburbs, and you're less likely to get uh, African-American people auditioning. So that, Somebody that, of a, yeah of a unique ethnicity yeah a, a unique ethnicity Frankenstein this isn't unique ethnicity but you know when I'm dealing with directing Frankenstein and I'm like okay I need somebody who's going to be able to play the creature I need a certain size person to do right. this if I have never you know I happen to know several people who are over six foot who could fill a role of the creature but maybe you're dealing with a community theater where you've never seen somebody of that stature. So you just don't know what sort of unique characteristics that you might require that you might be concerned you're not going to get at auditions. I was thinking back to, well, as far as ethnicity goes, I know one that's kind of a recurring difficulty is uh, the play One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Mm -hmm. There's the character who's both Uh, Native Native American American. and tall. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a (laughs) very specific thing where you're dealing with an ethnicity and a uh, physical type. So yeah, that might be difficult to get. And you don't want to end up Uh, being in a situation where... You know, you're putting a tall guy in, you know, in red face or whatever on a stage. Yeah, that's just that can not, have its own implications. Yeah, that, that's not an acceptable thing to do. And so if it's a matter of, oh, I need to precast or I can't do this show. 
Yeah, that, that's what it ultimately comes down to, I think. Mm-hmm. Other situations, I think, where maybe it's being looked at as far as considering a precast would be a role that's really intense or demanding, and you just need somebody who's going to really commit to it. And yeah, I think that's that's a difficult line to tread. Yeah, that, because that's, it's a slippery slope there as yeah, far as you don't now you're like, kind of trying to play it safe. You don't want to leave it as a chance that you're not going to find said person. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's where you're like, okay, well... I'm not confident that I'm going to get anybody good enough for this role. And then you're like, well, then why are you holding auditions for the other roles? Hey, that's that's the probably the most controversial and difficult line to tread where you've got this one role that's just such a demanding role that, oh, I can't leave that to chance. Yeah, it's a little dangerous. Or, yeah. I, you know, maybe one way you could work around that would be uh, maybe you've done this before. Maybe I have. I don't know if mm. you... If you think of somebody you know who would be a really great fit for a role, maybe you reach out to them and yeah. suggest they audition for you, not promising anything. Yeah, yeah, you can certainly encourage people to audition. And I have done that as a director and then ended up not casting the person I encouraged. Yeah. <laughs> so that that can be a double-edged sword as a director. backfire a little bit. Yeah, it certainly has backfired on me, so I'm, I'm less inclined to do that these well, days. Well, you got to make the disclaimer that there are no promises. Yeah, which I did do, case. but I still felt bad about it. But that's not pre-casting yeah. anymore. Interesting. That's just trying I, to stack the deck in your favor as a director. What I've kind of fallen into in, in a similar circumstance is uh, I'm just going to right now call this post-casting, where I've gone through the auditions. And I'm like, okay, this role really ha- is a specific you know, demand to this role that I'll go through auditions. Be like, you know, nobody showed up who can do this. Can I find somebody who didn't audition, a friend who I know who could play this? And I have done that before. I've done that too. Yeah, I don't like to do that. But if you've got, you know, you got to do what's best for the show. I've kind of had been like, all right, well, maybe this person could pull it off, but I don't think so. So let me go and see if I can get this person. If I can't, I'll go to the other. It's a difficult thing to do, but I think that's a little more accepted than pre-casting. Yeah, I think post-casting is generally okay as far as theaters go they yeah make you have an open it. audition typically but if you can't find the right people out of that then then you can go to your you can go uh, to the recruiting uh, level yeah I, and i think a lot of times because most shows will have multiple auditions people who have been turned down for roles and then if people are pulled in outside of auditions the people who have been turned down are usually like well i guess that person must have been there on the night that i wasn't there that kind of thing or they audition <laughs> separately because some directors will hold auditions outside of the standard. Or have them by appointment yeah, occasionally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, you don't know. It's a little uh, controversial, but less controversial. And taking another level, sometimes you may have a role, and this ties into maybe some of our prior discussions as far as willingness to do unconventional or controversial things. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I ran into uh, uh, the kissing where I had people at the audition that were good and I offered them the role and I hadn't mentioned before that they had to kiss on stage and they weren't comfortable with that. So that's a minor thing. I feel like there's enough people that are willing to do that, but you don't know what other things might be done on stage that people wouldn't be willing to do. Like uh, walk out on stage naked carrying a sheep. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, uh, is this a show that I'm not... What show is this? This was uh, back in college. Mm. Uh, I recall a production that was mounted of a Sam Shepard play called Curse of the Starving Class. Okay. While I was attending college, I was not... I had no involvement with the show, but... You didn't that, play the sheep? No. Okay. No, they had a real <laughs> sheep oh for that. Oh, my goodness. And that was a role where 
you know, somebody who's committed enough to do exactly what I just said. Yeah. That was a situation where they decided we're going to precast this role. Okay. And they did. That is certainly more intense than kissing on stage. Oh, I forgot to mention, too, in a separate scene, while the same character is wearing a trash bag, I believe he had to urinate on stage. Oh, my goodness. On command, huh? (laughs) Well, I don't exactly know how that was done, per se, as far as staging that. Yeah. I'm assuming it was faked to some level, but yeah, so that's kind of what I meant as far as controversial or unconventional. I think you're going to find, or wit, another great example, yeah, perhaps. Yeah, that, that is both an intense role and- An uh, intense role, a woman who's willing head. to shave her head and yeah. appear at least partially naked on stage. Mm-hmm. That's, I think you're going to probably have a hard time leaving it to chance to find somebody yeah. willing to do that, or it, maybe more so. It's interesting, though. I've seen that, that that show has been done a few times in community theater, and as far as I'm aware, it that role has not been precast. I think it's just such an excellent role that there's at least enough people willing to Yeah, maybe to in that lights. case it's well-known enough. That yeah, but walking on stage naked with a sheep, that's... Whew. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's beyond everything I've anything I've even heard. I of. wish I were making that up, and this is coming from the same playwright who uh, wrote the play that we both directed separately. True West. Yeah, it's a little different. Yeah, no put, sheep in that one. Put that in perspective. <laughs> you got sheep. <laughs> They're not bad. Anyway, so I think those are the kinds of situations where, if precasting is more deemed more accepted, yeah, that's when it would be absolutely. And I mean, these are main stage shows. There's also precasting in like special event shows and that kind of thing, where it's almost the norm. Yeah, Things I like, think the uh, rules are a little bit different. Right, the Barley Sheaf One Act Festival is probably mm-hmm. a good example where it's more the expectation that. You're bringing in a group. The cast and crew is going to be brought in. You're yep. on your own to figure out how you're going to cast the show. Exactly. And There's I think no the requirement theater, for you to have open auditions. The for theater it. would accommodate open auditions, but you're not required for it. Right. Yeah. Right. So that's a situation where precasting is much more accepted. Yeah. And there's also uh, certain requirements of, pro- of certain productions that will just kind of require precasting as a prerequisite of. The production. Okay. Would you so, care to give us an example of I that? I can give you a good example because I directed the show, uh, and that is Accomplice. Spoiler so, alert. Yeah, definite spoiler alerts on this one. So the way the production is written, it's a murder mystery, and at one point towards the end, the final twist is, as, it's, uh, as it was originally scripted, the author walks on stage and acts and plays a role, and, and it turns out is the supposed murderer or the possible murderer or whatever. Uh, but that's pre-scripted and, and it was done on Broadway with the actual writer and then... The actual author of it, Correct, yes. Whose name is escaping me right now? Rupert Holmes. Thank you. Rupert Holmes is the author of that one and he actually was in the Broadway production playing himself. Now, the script has like a lot of notes and a lot of stuff that comes with it saying that it could be uh, the director or the producer or this or that. You mean Rupert Holmes is not available on call to no, personally attend and participate in your community theater Although he production? Did, uh, he did call my producer and spoke to her. Really? So, yeah. But that's, a, that's another story for another time. All right. So as it stood, I'm looking at this and I'm going, okay, if I'm going to direct this, this role needs to be cast already. This needs to be either my producer or myself. And I actually went to the production chair at the time and and tried to not give things away and talk to him going, is this something that can be done? And eventually it's just like, look, you're going to have to just tell me what's going on with this. So I said, look, this is, 
I am going to give this role to myself if I direct this production. Is this something that I need to say up front when I present the show to the membership? Because as we've stated before, Barley Chief membership votes on their productions and votes on the season. And they're like, no, I mean, as long as the board knows this and knows what's going on, it's it's okay. And, and this is a unique circumstance. So this is something where precasting, although Barley Chief does require you to hold open auditions, they were fine with that. And I was able to cast myself in a show, which was very odd. You didn't um, audition yourself. I did not audition myself. <laughs> I did make sure that I had an assistant director because it's just one scene at the end where where I come on where suddenly they're... Yeah, there, there's so many twists in this show. If you ever get the chance to see Accomplice, highly recommended. Great show. I saw it. Yeah. And was it a great show? It was good. I yeah. saw you on in it too. Yeah, yeah, I was in it. <laughs> so it's, it's a very... I didn't yell out, hi, Glenn. Yeah, <laughs> I appreciate that. Because <laughs> it's like at one point somebody turns out in the audience and goes uh, something like, uh, Glenn, are you there? Or, or Glenn, where are you? And I'm like, oh, I'm right here. And I literally walked up the aisle and climbed up on stage and delivered my lines, which... Like I said, I had the assistant director there to, to direct that scene, so I was sure, you know, I gave the actors notes and everything, but it's a very different perspective being on stage. But but I digress. That is something where, due to the nature of the show, that role had to be precast. Right, and I think, I suspect in other more, maybe shows of a murder mystery nature, that maybe that kind of thing comes up. Yeah, it's entirely possible. So that is, kind of runs the gamut of acceptable precasting, and then there's all of the unacceptable yeah. precasting. The unannounced, the misconception of people coming in thinking, oh, I got a shot at this role. And yeah, and no, really they you don't. don't. And I think that kind of usually falls into you know nepotism of some kind, whether it's casting your friends, casting your significant others, casting your family. And then it comes down to the question of, should they be allowed even to audition? Well, yeah, that's a slippery slope. Yeah. I... I will, and people can believe me to the extent that they want to, but when I have been in situations of directing my significant other, I still had open auditions, and I still went into it with the viewpoint of, I'm not precasting this. Mm -hmm. I Whoever I think is best for the role is who's going to get it. Yeah, I mean, I th that's such a deep topic that has a lot that we could discuss on that, that it could probably be its own standalone episode where we talk about working with significant others and that kind of thing. Incidentally, for yeah. directing Nora Swan, guess who will be starring in it as the title character? Your fiance? That is correct. Okay, well, there you go. See? It's, it's a, but it's already precast anyway. So well, yeah, I had no yeah. decision yeah. over that. That was out of my control. She yeah. was probably one of the first people who was attached to this production. Mm -hmm. So that's not even, even before I agreed to direct it. So that doesn't even count. That wasn't, no. wasn't uh, listed as an open audition or an open role at all. So Right, but I, it's a coincidence yeah. in this case yeah. that I will be directing my fiancé. But I don't even think you could talk about that as, as pre-casting. It's not really, doesn't qualify. Or if it is, it's the acceptable kind. Right, right. Yeah. So it's really... It's hard. I mean, you're dealing with a lot of situations where if precasting occurs, it's going to be looked at as unfair. So you well, kind of have to approach it in a certain way if, yeah, it, and, if it has to be done. And there can be some level of second guessing as far as if you do allow family, friends or significant others to, if you're directing a show, to audition mm -hmm. for you. Yeah. And how will that be looked upon? Yeah. Do will it be looked as precasting? Will it be looked at as unfair no matter what you say? I mean, and again, this is something that we can talk about in its own episode. I can at least fall back upon the the truth that 
in not all cases did I cast my significant mm. other, even if she did audition. Yeah. So I can at least say, hey, look, I did cast her this time, but she auditioned for me in a previous time, and I did not cast yeah. her. Yeah, I think, I just feel like some people are capable of doing that, and some people aren't, and I, I personally feel that as a director, it would be difficult for me to look at my wife uh, with a uh, from an objective viewpoint. I mean, I... I just don't think I can do that. Right. So it might be a, I don't know if I would cast her more often than not, or if I would uh, hold her to a higher standard because she is my wife. I, I don't know which it would be. And I think the best approach for me is just to not have her audition. Mm-hmm. Well, so that's one avenue to go. And yeah, it certainly yeah. could potentially, well, as long as she's okay with it, mm-hmm. then it certainly could help avoid anybody else kind of questioning it yeah i mean at this point with a kid we can't field at this point with a kid we can't both work on the same show right anyway. right right so it's it's moot yeah as far as if you are precasting, i think there are certain precautions certain procedures that you should follow mainly just being open and clear about that fact sure i think as you mentioned earlier making the powers that be aware of your plans. Yeah, with Accomplice, like I said, I went to the specific board member, and I think he brought that to the board saying, hey, there's going to be a role that's precast. This was, because it was literally supposed to be me as the director walking on stage, it's not like I even had to audition for that role. I didn't have to even list it in auditions, so nobody even knew about it until they were cast in the show. Right. And if you weren't familiar with the show, you wouldn't even know there was another role until it actually occurred. Now, in that case... Did, uh, because of the nature of how productions are presented and vote upon, voted upon in Barley mm-hmm. Sheaf, did that have to be decided before the vote happened? It was not even mentioned. I, I Like I said, I brought it up before the vote with the production's chair at the time, okay. and they brought it to the board and, and approved it, and they knew when I was presenting the show that I was leaving that role out of my presentation. Okay. So nobody knew about it who was voting on it. And it wasn't really significant, because as far as they knew, it was a four-person murder mystery. Right. And anybody that's coming to the, you know, you assume the membership is going to be make up at least a portion of your audience. And I didn't want to ruin the show for all of them. Yeah, that that's in this unique case. And Mm -hmm. I I meant kind of tying this into murder mysteries. Like I said earlier, it's kind of a surprise that a twist that you want to keep secret to some degree. Exactly. It does kind of I mean, I I don't know that it necessarily ruins the entire show, if you know that. But it certainly uh, forecasts the punch. In a way? Yeah, to some degree. Yeah. But in, in general circumstances, transparency up front, mm-hmm. making it known in show announcements. Yeah. Just it, so that everybody is, has a clear understanding of... Audition announcements, for sure. If you're if you're doing a, you know, a six-person show where you have the lead or any of role that has been precast, you want to say at the auditions, hey, this is not an open role. Exactly. This role has been already cast. You don't have to you know start using precast terminology well, to say this role has been cast. Right, right. Because you don't want a bunch of people coming in with the expectation, oh, I got a chance to play this role. I've mm-hmm. always wanted to do this and find out I didn't even get to read for this role because I already have somebody for yeah, it. Yeah. And also, if you're going to precast, be honest with yourself. Because I've gone to shows, uh, I've gone to auditions rather, where I'm auditioning for a role and I'm up against the director's husband. Mm-hmm. And the director's husband ends up getting the role. And when I'm there and I talk to other people who are there going, yeah, you were not given a fair shot at this role. Clearly, this person already had their husband in mind or already had somebody in mind. If you've got somebody in mind, be honest with yourself. Don't pretend that a role is open if it isn't. Yeah, that's tricky, I think. It It absolutely is because I'm sure, well, as you've said, you've had situations where your fiance has auditioned, you haven't cast her, but 
are you showing her favoritism without realizing it? You know, I, I felt and other people agreed with me that I did a better job auditioning than this director's husband, but does that necessarily mean she had the role precast? Probably not. Was she showing her husband favoritism? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know, and there's no way for me to know. Sure, sure. Uh, maybe you get a little bit more validation of it if, say, you have a group of people who help make casting decisions that you're not mm. doing completely on your own. Yeah, I, I, I or do think Or at least think if you get feedback from other people yeah. to maybe validate your own thought. Of, I think that's valuable regardless. Yeah. But it definitely helps you to unintentionally, or, or helps you avoid unintentionally precasting. Or bias. Yeah. In general. Yeah. And when you're identifying these roles that are precast, if this is a, a circumstance saying this role isn't open, it's not like you have to say, oh, this role has already gone to such and such a person. Yeah, you, it's, it's not it's, required it's to say who has it. It's yeah. Just say it's not open. It's, this role has been cast. Mm-hmm. I think you just leave it at that. And I think this goes whether it's acceptable precasting or unacceptable precasting. I think these precautions and the way you do this should be the same. I mean, whether it's acceptable or not, whether you've decided, hey, I'm giving this role to my to my friend and I don't care if your theater is allowing that, then fine, go ahead and do that. But tell people up front. Right. I was going back to something I was about to say earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you going into planning to cast a production, if you have people in mind, and usually it's a good idea, good idea to try to have people in mind that you think could fill certain roles. Sure. But you also have to be willing to break free from that. Yes. If you legitimately as objectively as you possibly can, find somebody who you think is better. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that's uh, a circumstance where having people to bounce thoughts off of, having people help you with the casting is, is uh, kind of vital because it's hard. It is, as you said, important to have people in mind who could potentially fill these roles, but you don't want to skew your choices ahead of time. Or have it look like you're just picking your friends. Exactly. There is certainly value in that. And, you know, I've said I don't precast, and that's true. But if I'm looking at two people who are equivalent, and one of them is my friend and one isn't, I'm more likely to cast my friend because I know I can rely on them. And I don't, if it's an unknown, I'm going to cast a friend over an unknown. You have a track record. Yeah. Or they have a track record. Yeah. And I think that's valid. And that's not precasting. But, yeah, I can can see some people potentially having a problem with that. Yeah, that's the... A little bit of the slippery slope, but I think yeah. if there is any element of precasting legitimacy, then maybe that's it. But yeah. I still don't really even look at that as precasting. No. No, I don't think that's precasting. It's pre-thinking. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. It's like a mental rough precasting, but not necessarily locked in. Yeah. Uh, we could certainly use your thoughts on this. Have we missed any acceptable precasting? Have we said something is acceptable that you find isn't acceptable? Well... If uh, you have any further thoughts on precasting, you can shoot us an email at podcast at backstage.link. You could check us out on Twitter at the backstage pod or Facebook, facebook.com slash the backstage pod or give us a call or text at 267-225-8869. Again, that number is 267-225-8869. And if you like the show, please tell a friend. Uh, You can also... Subscribe to our show on, uh, well, whatever you're listening to it on now, you can probably subscribe to it on, or you can leave us a review. We'd certainly like to hear back from that. 
And yeah, th- this is how we expand our listener base. You tell people, you leave us reviews. How's our podcasting? Call 267-225-8869. There you go. So uh, next week is a little bit open. This is the end of our latest recording session. So uh, if you the don't march know, run. Yeah, if you don't know already, we do record these ahead of time. And In chunks. Chunks. Uh, often. Sometimes we'll do just one at a time on Skype or whatever. But this is the end of our chunk, so... There you go. If you contact us, you're more likely to hear back sooner than later. Yes. We'll try to keep the gravy train flowing here. Indeed. Uh, So until next week, whatever that may be, I'm Glenn. And I'm Jim, and we'll see you backstage. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Glenn. And I'm Jim. And welcome to the Backstage Show. What? I was getting a phone call. Okay. (laughs) I thought you weren't recording. I'm like, what? Can we try that? Can we try that one more time? But it was so good. (laughs) Gotta get this audio gold on there. (laughs) (laughs) Audio gold. Can you hear Glenn's bones creaking? That's the chair. I'm just asking a completely unrelated question. What's that sound? Can we try that again? There's a plane. Really? Yeah. Wow. I knew we shouldn't have filmed at the airport. (laughs) Can I get you anything? Sorry, I really I heard getting a chinny thing. Can I get you anything? Yeah, I, I figured out what you said, but I'm like getting a chinny thing. Don't get my goat. Me, me, me. This is the episode where Glenn has completely gone bonkers. Me. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jim, and this is Goat Boy, and welcome me. to the backstage show. Okay, I really. Oh my goodness. All right, <clears throat> pull it together. I'm trying. I'm trying. Uh, I have totally lost it. <laughs> this is seriously, we're going to have like an hour of outtakes now. I don't know what my problem is. I assume it's migraine related or I literally have lost my mind. Are you in pain? The They're all riding our are, coattails. Yeah, they are. Man, we were in on this on the ground floor, baby. <laughs> yeah, right. right when podcasting was fresh and new. <laughs> What?